Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Hey, clones, what's cracking? How y'all living? Thank you very much for listening to The Daily Jungle. Big show on Tuesday. Smashville going to play for the Stanley Cup for the first time ever. The Warriors crack the broom over the Spurs and... A rat cafe is opening up in San Francisco right in time for Jules' birthday. Guess what you clones wanted to hit on today? We had three excellent interviews. Buffalo Bills linebacker Lorenzo Alexander made it in. The one-man gang coming off a huge season. SI's Ben Golver joined me to talk about the NBA playoffs. And lightweight boxer Ray Beltran told his incredible story after what might have been the knockout of the year. Alvi, do your thing. Let's start with Golden State. The Warriors cracked San Antonio again last night. They finished off that sweep. They're now headed to the NBA Finals, and they're on a 12-0 postseason run, something that has never been done before. They're the first team in NBA history to rip off 12 straight in the postseason, and they didn't do it in the East either. They did it in the Western Conference, and yes, I know the Spurs didn't have Kawhi Leonard, but even if they did, it would not have mattered. It may have made it more interesting, maybe, maybe, but even with Kawhi, They don't have nearly the firepower to stay with Golden State, who are as talented as any team we've ever seen, and they're as unselfish as they are talented. And they're on a mission after blowing that 3-1 lead in the finals last year against Cleveland. And unlike Cleveland, who let Boston off the hook in their own house with that 21-point lead, you have to like the way the Warriors handled their business and closed out San Antonio. No wasted energy, absolute efficiency, and the cold-blooded finish. It used to be that the West came through the Alamo. It now comes through the Golden Gate Bridge as the Golden State Warriors have beaten the San Antonio Spurs 129-115. to And they capture the West. And even though it is a four-game sweep, well, your magic number tonight might be three. It's the third straight sweep for the Golden State Warriors. It's the third straight year. The Warriors are the Western Conference champions, and it's the third straight year that the Golden State Warriors are going to the NBA Finals. Warriors radio, and they are making it look easy. Easy, if not boring. Oh, and if you are bored by them smashing anyone and everyone who gets in their way, and you've got a problem with that, Kevin Durant says, don't watch. Just turn your TV off. Don't watch it if you don't like it. Now, obviously, the league probably does not want one of its best players telling fans to turn off their TVs. So, KD walked it back and apologized. Sort of. Not really. What he did was he apologized to anyone who felt disrespected when he said you should just turn the TV off if you don't like what you're seeing in the playoffs. But he did stand by it. He stood by it. I think he did actually a pretty nice job of apologizing without coming off what he said. He told ESPN, quote, I mean, life can be simple, man. If you don't like the way the game is going, just turn it off. If you're enjoying it, just keep it on. Life is simple. I didn't mean to disrespect anybody, but if you felt disrespected, I'm sorry. But if you don't enjoy the game, turn it off and turn something else on. If you do, enjoy the rest of it, man. End quote. Of course, he's right. If you don't like what you're seeing, just turn it off. Look, I'm not saying the NBA playoffs have been great. Far from it, actually. But that's not on Durant. That's not on his comments. That's not on Golden State. That's not on the Cavaliers. It's on everybody else. What are those two teams supposed to do? Not try to dominate? Take their foot off the gas? The playoffs have been pretty unwatchable. But that's not Kevin Durant's fault. You have a problem? Turn off your station. Right, Mike. Exactly right. 
Mike said that way back in the day. If you don't like it, turn it off. He's right when he says that. Ben Golliver is my guest. Golden State finishes off that sweep, Ben, of the Spurs last night, but they're not making a very big deal out of it, but they're now the only team other than the Lakers to win the West three straight years. It was only five years ago, Ben, that they were coming off a season where they couldn't crack 30 wins for the third time in four years. So how crazy is it that they are where they are right now? It's been an unbelievable turnaround for this franchise. You know, the one thing that I loved from last night, the post game, was Greg Popovich saying that, It's disrespectful to call the Warriors just a talented team if you only focus on their talent. And obviously everybody sees their talent. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, on and on. If you only focus on the talent, you miss the other things that they do well. uh, And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they're over themselves. They are not impressed by their 12-0 run through the Western Conference. They're not impressed by uh, their third straight finals. Uh, They're a much more focused team this year than last year. I thought that they were very complacent at times last year. Uh, They were too easily distracted, uh, and I'd put Draymond Green in that mix in terms of his suspension in the finals and uh, some of the other trash-talking those guys were doing during that series. This team is just locked in right now, and uh, Popovich's point was, was right on. It's not just the talent, it's the little things. These guys continue to have a defensive edge, Uh, quarter after quarter, game after game, no matter if they're up 3-0 in a series, no matter if they're at home, uh, no matter if they're on the road. And they also continue to share the basketball. I mean, those are the things that coaches always look for, unselfishness on offense, competitiveness on defense. uh, And for all their talent, Golden State does both those things. And that's why they made such easy work and such quick work at the Western Conference this year. And then, Ben, in addition to all that, they are 27-1, 27-1 since mid-March. So there certainly is a difference between this year's team and last year's team. Ben Galver joining us. Now, Ben, Manu Ginobili started last night as a way for Greg Popovich to thank him for everything he's done over the course of his career. Very nice gesture. He's 39 now. He still scored 15 points. He had 21 in Game 3, 17 in Game 1. Draymond Green said after the game that Manu, quote, worked as pretty good in these four games. It seems like he's got something left in his tank. So are you 100% convinced the last night was the last time we'll see him play or maybe not? I mean, it really felt like a goodbye in the arena, and Manu joked that it kind of seemed like everybody wanted him to retire because of the way they were celebrating him so heavily. Uh, I mean, it was a poignant moment. It's unbelievable. The fans from Argentina traveled thousands of miles year after year to see him play. There was people in Argentinian soccer jerseys chanting Ole, uh, you know, wearing his jersey all over the stadium there. I mean, it was a real expression of uh, outpouring and support. I mean, it was really comparable to, like, Kobe Bryant's goodbye, I think, in terms of, Uh, just the connection between a a star player uh, and his very loyal uh, fan base. You know, in terms of how much he has left, I mean, there was times where it's been pretty grisly these last couple of years. I mean, you look back to the last year's postseason, he didn't have a great showing. You look at the first round against Memphis, uh, he really struggled, but uh, he did show he can still get there. I mean, he had a a nice game uh, in overtime against Houston. I believe that was game five. Uh, He really turned it on at times uh, in this series. I thought, you know, with LaMarcus Aldridge kind of struggling in this Western Conference Finals. I mean, there was times where Manu was their, uh, was their best offensive player, and we never would have expected that, uh, you know, following Kawhi's injury. So uh, could he still play next year? I think so. I mean, obviously that's an organization that can limit his minutes and limit his wear and tear, unlike any other organization around the league. Uh, he said the decision is going to come down to whether he still wants to do it. I mean, this is obviously a real uh, strain on his body, and he's almost 40. That's about the time most people, you know, even the, the long-term guys decide to hang it up. Uh, I didn't have a clear sense, but if that is his final goodbye, he went off on the highest note possible. I love seeing his wave to the crowd. 
he looked like a very satisfied and, and humbled and very overwhelmed and, and appreciative guy uh, after Game 4. It was a great moment for a guy who had a great run there. All right, so one final thought. Cleveland hosting Boston for Game 4 tonight. Assuming Cleveland finishes off Boston, who do you like in the finals matchup? You know, I was starting to talk myself into Cleveland a little bit as that upset pick, but after watching, just kind of going back and really thinking about the entirety of Golden State's run, you mentioned 27-1 in terms of the last two and a half months, their record. That's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, You look at their point differential, it's plus 16 during the playoffs. You know, they're winning every game by an average of 16 points. Uh, This is an overwhelming favorite. If I had to make a pick right now, I'd say Warriors in uh, five or six. I think that the pressure is really going to ramp up for them, though. I mean, they they knew they were going to be here. I think they were very confident they were going to make it back to the finals. Uh, being able to kind of stare down LeBron, uh, you know, get over that mental hump of last year's uh, you know finals collapse, that is a different challenge. But I think this team, like I said, is focused enough. Uh, it's resilient enough. It's talented enough to get that done. I want to talk also about Odell Beckham Jr. New Year's, same act. While the Giants were kicking off OTAs, on Monday, their star receiver was a no-show. And after being challenged by his GM, Jerry Reese, to grow up after last year's weekly circus, remember, him fighting the kicking net, him proposing to the kicking net, him having the time of his life when he was scoring touchdowns, but having no fun when he wasn't, him going boy band in Miami with that crew, him taking to Twitter this spring and vowing that he would work harder than I ever have to be the best that I've ever been. That was a quote. All those things, and OBJ goes MIA on OTAs. A no-show. And yeah, it's technically optional. It's optional, but Eli was there. Free agent signee and fellow wide receiver Brandon Marshall was there. JPP was there. So if those guys are all showing up, then it's not optional. They were all there, but no OBJ. Clones, while I've got you here, let me talk to you for a minute about Stamps.com. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com makes it so easy. They'll send you a digital scale, automatically calculates exact postage. Stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. There is no need to lease an expensive postage meter. I use Stamps.com because I love how easy it is. I love how convenient it is. I hate going to the post office. I no longer have to. And right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Rome. Stamps.com. Enter Rome. Stamps.com. Never, ever go to the post office again. That's Stamps.com. Now, back to the Daily Jungle. But he did have time to tweet all about teammate Rashad Jennings dancing with the stars' appearance. Time to do that, but not time to get to East Rutherford for practice one of ten before June's minicamp. Giants have got to be so tired of this. Have to be so tired of this. Shows up at the Final Four to watch North Carolina win a championship, but then skips out on Eli's workouts only a couple of days later after saying that he had oral surgery scheduled. Then hits Twitter with a tweet that literally says, words are only that, so it's time for action. But then skips out on the action part of that less than a month later. And so what's going on here? 
Just doesn't want to do the work. Or might it have something to do with his contract? Maybe. They locked in his fifth season at roughly $8.5 million when they exercised their fifth-year option for 2018. Except this season, he's going to play for about a mil and a half. So obviously, he's outperformed that. But even after 35 touchdowns and at least 1,300 yards in each of his first three years, no team's going to rip up a rookie deal for a guy who's almost as much trouble off the field as he is for opposing defenses on the field. Look, tough to side with a team in the NFL on a contract dispute. Not when the teams can rip the contract up whenever they want to. Not when the NFL refuses to guarantee contracts and every single week presents a new chance for a career to end. But if you're trying to get on the right side of management, if you're trying to prove that you are worth that big jack, the kind of jack that goes to Antonio Brown or A.J. Green or Julio, then you've got to act like a franchise player. And among other things, that means showing up for OTAs. And apparently he'll get around to that later in the week. But it means working with your quarterback and the rest of the skill guys when the quarterback is hosting offseason workouts. It means you got to lead from the front. But after a bag act last season, kind of moping his way through an 11-win season and a playoff berth, and then no showing in that blowout loss to the Packers in the wildcard round, he's up to his old tricks. A bad look then, a bad look now, and especially a bad look for a guy who's looking for a new contract and who said that he was going to let his action speak for himself. Doesn't look good. Lorenzo Alexander is our guest. Now, your story is really something. we got a lot of ground to cover, so let me try and get this going. Last April, you signed a one-year deal with the Bills, and they were the sixth team that you had been with since the start of your career. They told you from the outset that your role was primarily going to be on special teams, and they wanted you to help mentor Shaq Lawson as a pass rusher and a professional. So at this time, Lorenzo, last year, one year ago right now, what kind of season were you expecting to have in 2016? I was expecting to have a, a dominant season on special teams. Um, that's something that I've kind of made my niche in the NFL. And uh, my goal was to return to the Pro Bowl. I had a couple of injuries after I had left Washington after seven years, tore my Liz Frank, and was finally feeling healthy, uh, feeling back to my old ways, and was ready to kind of reestablish myself as one of the more dominant players in the NFL on special teams. As long as uh, be a great leader to guys like Shaq, as you mentioned, and other young players, of how to have longevity in the NFL by taking care of your body, being a great guy off the field, you know, treat people well, and most of all, just being productive on the field by being accountable, by knowing your plays and, and assignments and, and going out there playing hard. So it makes sense. And that's I can see why they bring you in to do that, but you know how the NFL is. Things can change pretty quickly. So then Lawson right. gets hurt, and then IK and Impali gets injured, and then you're having a good preseason, and the team releases Manny Lawson, and now suddenly you're going to be the starting linebacker. What was that process like for you? I mean, I always prepare like I'm going to be the starter. You know, no matter where I find myself on the depth chart, and that's something I've learned in this league. I've been around for a long time. So I've been in other situations when I was in Washington where you have a guy like Brian Arakpo go down, and I have to step in and take more reps. And I've seen it with numerous other guys getting opportunities because we all know the injury rate in the NFL is 100%. So uh, each and every year, that's the type of mindset I go in. I mean, even this year, I'm, I'm, I'm deemed the starter on paper, but you never know. Uh, what can change. So I'm always making sure that um, I'm still doing well on special teams, having my job there, and just being as versatile as possible so I can offer the team as much versatility and options when it comes to the roster and, and giving my chance the most opportunity to make a, a difference on Sundays. Lorenzo Alexander joining us. Also, you mentioned the time with the Redskins. You've given London Fletcher a lot of credit for the role that he played in your career. 
I mean, the, the kind of thing that they're now looking to you to do with younger players. But as you look back then, what kind of an impact did he have on you as a player and even as a person? I mean, huge. I mean, he's like my big brother. Um, we're really close off the field. Um, and, you know, I was like in shadow. I was always watching him from afar, uh, trying to see how he approached the, the, the game day to day. You know, you know, things that people don't see uh, Monday through Saturday, uh, how we watched film, how he took care of his body. Um, how he led on the field, and I just tried to emulate it as best I could because, you know, that was a guy that was an Iron Man of football, didn't miss a snap, uh, high-character guy, could play ball. It was everything that I wanted to be. So um, now that I'm in that same role, I'm just trying to pay it forward and kind of honor his legacy by the way I help younger guys and try to mentor them. And, and hopefully people see the way I show up every day. Um, they appreciate that as well and, and can see London through me. So. Uh, it was a blessing to have him and have a guy of that high caliber who hopefully should be a Hall of Famer one day to be in the locker room for him with. I think we played together for six years. You know, it's one thing for you to show your versatility and to play multiple positions, even play on both sides of the ball. But over the course of your journey, you've completely changed your physique. I mean, you went from 315 pounds <laughs> down to your playing weight between 235 and 245. I mean, so you right. could turn into a special teams ace that you became and now a linebacker once again. What was that process like? Um, I mean, it's been a long road. You know, it took me about six years to do it each off season, probably starting around 2010 or 2009. Um, just started losing 20 pounds in the off season because I started playing special teams a lot more, covering kicks and pulled a couple of hamstrings. And then Shanahan came in 2010 and moved me to outside backer, and I wanted to become more athletic. Um, and so I just, you know, uh, really – Disciplined myself. I had to cut out a lot of the carbs, the you know the desserts, all the stuff you love. Pancakes is one of my my enjoyments. Had to cut that out and and just really uh, focus on what I wanted to do to change my body. I mean, it's the, the transformation has just been so crazy. Um, I actually lived upstairs from my great aunt uh, growing up, and I, one time I just came home, surprised my mom, and was out talking to some of my cousins and. She was like, she asked my mom, who was that standing by your car? Oh, no. And she was like, that's your great, that's your great nephew, auntie. You know, so <laughs> Incredible. It's, yeah, people don't believe me when I, when I tell them I used to be 315 pounds. They can't see it. So, But, it, you know, a lot of hard work. I had a lot of great trainers and people to help me out kind of achieve that goal, especially my wife cooking great meals for me. Lorenzo Alexander, my guest, I've got to ask you, we've got a lot of listeners in Buffalo. I've been to Buffalo. Man, they love that franchise. They love that team. Yes. What's it like to play in that market and in front of the Bills Mafia? I love it. Um, you know, obviously being a California boy, I wasn't uh, jumping at the bit to come up here knowing how cold it is. But once I got up here, met the people, Blue Collar City, very passionate, uh, very intelligent fan base. And uh, they really welcomed me in, and I really enjoyed it. You know, getting especially this year, getting out into the community more um, and getting to know people, uh, it's really been a blessing. And they're, they're very passionate. Obviously, we haven't been in the playoffs, but they show up and show out on, on uh, Saturdays, even Friday nights. I mean, that RV lot. Uh, next to the cap is, is packed. So uh, this year we want to put on a show for them and hopefully we'll be able to get to the playoffs and kind of uh, give them what they deserve. So before you go, what are your initial impressions of your new coach, Sean McDermott? Loving. Very organized, passionate, um, great leader. Has, has presented us a clear vision and mission as far as what he wants us to accomplish this year. And we have complete buy-in from top down, and uh, that's what we need here. And I think we're going to be uh, pretty competitive this year moving forward. Preds, six. Ducks, three. Lord Stanley's Cup just booked its first gig in Smashville. And even without Ryan Johansson and Mike Fisher, the team's top centers, the Preds would not be denied. Even without those two, they were able to handle a desperate Ducks team that played with unbelievable urgency and that controlled most of the action last night. 
And they were able to do it because they had Pekka Rene, who was once again the best player on the ice. How else do you explain the Preds being outshot 41-18 to and still winning 6-3? Because of Pekka. And because of Nash Vegas' newest hero, 23-year-old Colton Sisson, who went legend last night. This guy entered the game with two career playoff goals. Two. Came into the game as a guy who was a routinely healthy scratch during the regular season. A guy who started the season as a fourth-line center. He gets the call on the first line, and he ends up finishing the Ducks with a hat trick while nearly blowing the roof right off that joint with that tiebreaker in the third period. Yarn Croak out to center. Drops for Sissons. Power play about over for the Ducks. Here now is Yarn Croak across for Sissons. He scores! Oh, my goodness. The score! And the Predators take a 4-3 lead as they were killing off the remainder of a penalty. Preds Radio. Can't say enough about the Preds' resolve and the resiliency. The way they battled back after losing their top two centermen. And the way they hung in against an extremely motivated and physical Duck squad. That was far and away the most physical series of the playoffs so far. Both sides were beaten up. The ultimate war of attrition. And you know, even though they were down two goals in the third period, you knew the Ducks would make their run. And they did. And they tied it up. And they even had a man advantage with just over eight minutes to go. And they had all the mo. It looked like the Ducks were going to shock the world again and somehow get that thing back to Anaheim. Only to miss fire again on the power play, which ultimately was their undoing. Anaheim was 0 for 4 last night with a man advantage, 0 for 10 over the past three games, 2 for 18 overall in the series. It's just not going to get it done. Not against the Preds. And the Ducks did suffer a bad break, obviously when goalie John Gibson couldn't go. He had played lights out. He had kept Anaheim in that series. And to ask backup, Jonathan Bernier, to go into that house in an elimination game and get it back to Anaheim, as it turns out, was just too much to ask. We talked about it yesterday. Talked about how important it was for Anaheim to get out quickly and to try to take the seventh man out of the game and to let some of the air out of that barn. So what happens? They get off to the worst kind of start. They fell behind 1-0 81 seconds in. Then it was 2-0. With Bernier allowing those two goals on only four shots. Again, a tough spot for him and a huge ask for him. But when they needed him to come up huge and make the big saves and get it back home, he just couldn't do it. Just could not do it. But the Ducks have nothing to be ashamed of. And the Preds were unbelievable. I've got lots more to talk about with the Preds and the Ducks a little bit later on. And man, Smashville can party now. Smashville absolutely can party now. Jonathan in Nashville. Jonathan, nice to have you. What's going on? It's not Jonathan, it's Jeff. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. My man, that was so good. Not only like, hey, Rome, what's going on? Thanks for talking about my team. Glad I could be on your show. Hey, listen, one thing. All the fellas call me Jet. I mean, he just immediately corrected me. Jonathan. What's going on? It's not Jonathan, it's Jet. Oh, really? It's Jet. Hey, Jonathan, you've probably, excuse me, Jet. You probably are new to these parts. You probably don't know much about this show. I don't ask very much of anybody who calls this program. Only that they have a take, that that take not suck, and that they leave personal appearances out of their take. Literally, that's all I've ever asked for. Oh, and do not self-gloss. 
If the show deems you worthy of gloss, the show will give you gloss. So to me, you're Jonathan. To everybody on this show, you're Jonathan. You're not the Jet. Unless you come in here and, I don't know, you do something that's Jet-worthy, right? But you had not. So to me, you're Jonathan. However, there is some good news here, Jonathan. You are now part of a very exclusive club. The club of those who came into the program and tried to gloss themselves rather than waiting for the jungle to gloss them. So although you got run and that did not go well, there is upside. There is a positive. You are now a part of a very exclusive fraternity. You're a part of this club, Jonathan. Levi the Trash Man. Ah. It's Iceman. Ah. Loney Carter in Spokane. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Bighorn from Windsor, Ontario. Ah. They call me the bowling ball here in Tampa. Ah. Jay Dizzle. Ah. Manny Cheeseburger over here. Ah. Oh, my name is Shot Collins. Ah. The Clone Prophet. Ah. This is the Grump. Ah. This is the Grouch. Ah. Moldoggy in NorCal, East Bay to be exact. Ah. The Dougler. I'm from the city of Fad Diets and Yoga Pants. Ah. The Zookeeper. Oh, good gloss. Where did that come from? Uh, at a buddy's wedding. Ah. So you got to call me Roaster. Ah. Actually, this is garbage, man, Brad, because I take out the... Ah. Jonathan, nice to have you. What's going on? It's not Jonathan, it's Jeff. Welcome to the club, Jonathan. You know, I always say when that happens, you're now part of a very exclusive club. It's not that exclusive. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Apparently, there's a hell of a lot of self-glossing going on. Preston in Nashville. It's good to have you, Preston. How are you? Pimp in the box. What's going on today, man? Preston, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm all right, man. First, it's an honor to speak to you, man. I've been listening to you since you've been in our market. Never felt compelled to call. And, of course, anything will beat the dead gum jet from Nashville. Come on, my man. Got to do better than that. Don't self-gloss. <laughs> but furthermore, let me say this. New to hockey, when the Preds got here, I'm, I'm born and raised in Nashville, uh, which is harder and harder to find. But, however, I remember when our former mayor tried to get the Devils to get there. Didn't happen. He got us an expansion team. I was new to it, went to a couple of games, and as we got better and better, yeah, you could call me a native bandwagon fan, but I started to follow the team. I was present for the Music City Miracle. I was at the Super Bowl when we went in Atlanta. But I have never, and I do mean, I have never seen anything as exciting as this series. It was beautiful, and it's something to behold. And let me tell you this, I'm a part of a motorcycle club, now, I'm a black guy. I was at my motorcycle club yesterday, a bunch of us sitting around watching a hockey game, all of us cheering. Who would have ever thought that would happen, let alone in Nashville? I say Lord Stanley comes to Nashville, puts on a, the proverbial pair of cowboy boots in five games, go Preds, war shields with no gear on, war Mike Forbes. I'm out. My man, rack him. And he tags it by warring Forbes. Boxer Ray Beltran is my guest. That knockout, Ray, on Saturday night was one of the most lethal one-shot knockouts in a long, long time. It was very impressive, but to fully appreciate it, we've got to go back a little further. You grew up in Mexico, and at times the family really had to battle and struggle, even for things like food and the basic necessities. So what were your early days like in Mexico? Well, you know, my my childhood, it was very rough, you know, very uh, tough uh, I live in poverty uh, with my family, you know. Uh, so 
we, you know, it, it was rough going, growing up. I didn't have anything, you know. Uh, but I just got to love my my mom and dad, you know. But um, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how to explain, man. It just, just it was just it wasn't that that fun at all. Sure. So when you're a teenager then, you come to the United States and you live in Arizona and you live in Michigan and then you live in Los Angeles. So how did you first get into boxing? Well, uh, first, my dad was a boxer. You know, I did a couple of fights when I was, uh, a few fights when I was like eight years old. And then I stopped. And then I get back at 14, you know, when I'm 14 years old. And I did another couple of fights in Mexico. And then I, uh, when I was 16, I immigrated to... Uh, to uh, the United States, and then I keep I continue my my boxing career my boxing career here. Then I turned pro at eighteen, you know, and, and here in Phoenix, Arizona. So it puts you in this great spot. But then you're you're continuing to battle, and you're grinding, and you're married, and you've got three kids. And then last Saturday's fight comes along, but that fight was not just for a chance to fight for the lightweight title. It's also a fight for a green card because you're looking to earn your EB1 green card, which requires proof of, quote, exceptional ability in your field. Now, to this point, you've had a very good career, but immigration experts say that it might not have been enough. So when you're training for that fight, how much was that green card also on your mind? Well, you know, it was uh, it was a lot on my mind, you know. So I've been talking to, uh, like, two different attorneys, and then I talked to my main attorney, uh, Frank Ronzio. And and he told me I have a we have a very good case, you know. But this fight will secure my like my possibility, you know, to it make my my case uh, more solid, you know. So I was just thinking about it, you know. I'm saying, man, I gotta win this fight. I gotta look good, you know. And the title eliminator, and and that will put me in the spot right there, you know. So it was in every minute, every second of my of my head, you know, and thinking about my family, thinking about my kids, you know. And I was just so, it was, to me that night, it was just like another title shot, you know, it was very important, you know. It, it was all those things. I mean, so there's, even if it's not on your your mind every single moment, there's so much pressure and so much riding on this. And then you go out there on Saturday night, and in the very first round, Micello catches you with a headbutt that knocks you down. And even though it was clearly a headbutt, the referee rules it a knockdown. What did you think when that happened? Well, you know what? Um, uh, I get a little bit bothered. You know, say, I mean, I get a little bit bothered, you know, because uh, I mean, it was a headbutt, you know. Right. It, it was clearly it was a headbutt, and and then the the judges start counting. I think maybe didn't see it, but the referee was there, and it's still kind of like it was a knockdown. I'm like, man, it's just a headbutt, you know. But you know, when I when I went. You know, I get up and I said, "Man, I gotta get this guy back." You know, I have to get him back. You know, and and I think at the end of the round, I had him with a good shot, and then I went towards him to to try to put some more, couple more punches. You know, try to finish him, and and the the bell rang. You know, but it it wasn't the in the process of the combination, com you know, punches combinations, and I I know I heard him. He went back to his corner like really hurt. You know. And, but, you know, but I knew it was better time to, to finish the fight. Because I, I felt like every time I, I hit him, it was feeling my, my, my power, you know. 
Well, in the second round, you guys were trading shots, and then you hit him with a left hook that was absolutely brutal. It's already being talked about as the knockout of the year. What's it feel like when you connect with a punch like that physically, and did you know it was over when you hit him? You know, in the moment when you land a good, really good shot, a like a punch, it's not even – sometimes you you land from a shot, and it's very solid, but you know you didn't get in the, in the right in the right spot for the knockout. But this this one, is it feels like almost like a – like between solid and soft at the same time, you know, is 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 connected very, very, very. I mean, very good on the right and the bottom. You know, on the on the, you know, it's a knockout. You know what I mean? So I remember when I hit him, I knew I hit him really, really good, because it's like when the 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 punch the the contact with the with a with his chin, his body kind of like disconnects, and that's what you feel on your on your on your face. You know. And uh, I remember seeing him going down like slow motion, you know, like slow motion. He's going was going halfway down, and I said, "Man, he's not, not going to get up." Especially when he, he hit the canvas. I'm like, "No, nah, he's not going to get up. He's not going to." I mean, you know it, you feel it, you know. There is a rat cafe now. There is no rat family, but there is a rat cafe. Clones, what I'm asking is, why would you bring this sort of thing up to me right now? This is one of the greatest months on the calendar in sports, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, MLB, even triple crown season in horse racing. It's a great time in sports. But a chunk of you would rather yuck it up about a restaurant that's all about rats. All right, fine. I'll play along degenerates for a minute, maybe two. Yes, San Francisco is opening up a rat cafe. The rat cafe is only going to be open for a limited time this summer. And apparently, if you want a ticket to dine with these rodents, it's going to cost you $49.99. There's a cover charge. You have to pay your way in. Visitors apparently can experience the cafe on either July 1st or July 8th. Though they say more opportunities may be available depending on how popular this is. After dining, customers apparently will have 15 minutes to interact with the surrounding rodents. Because who wouldn't want to break bread with a rat? Who wouldn't want to throw back a few pops with a few rats? Cole Corvey is a spokesman for the San Francisco Dungeon. He told Money, quote, This is an opportunity to remind people that while rats were public enemy number one in the 1900s, today they are more than acceptable as house pets and cafe guests. That's his quote. You know, I've stayed out of this whole San Antonio, Bay Area, mini smack-off feud that we had on the show throughout that playoff series. But, you know, I've got to say, and again, I've got no dog in that fight. I may find myself leaning towards my friends in the, quote, urine-filled river walk. The urine-filled stream that goes through that city. I find myself leaning with my friends there. I mean, dropping a half a hundo just for the opportunity to dine with rats. I'm pretty sure I can do that for free in some cesspool back alley someplace else. I'm also pretty sure that's not an original idea. I mean, lots of towns have rat cafes. New York, L.A., probably Frisco for years. Not on purpose, mind you. But they still beat you to the punch, San Fran. And unlike that dude Cole said, rats are still a public enemy. Maybe not number one, 
but they're still top five. And on this particular show, they are public enemy number one. And save the emails. Only 50 bucks, Rome. I would gladly pay that for a chance to sit down and eat with Randy Johnson. Or, hey, Rome, glad to see Corey Pavin is finally getting the respect that he deserves with his own cafe. Look, no matter how much you want it to be, this is not like a hard rock cafe or an all-star cafe for athletes who look like rats. So save all your Gary Gaetti and Monica Sellish emails. You're not going to get that snippet of round and round that you're so hungry for. The only thing dirtier than those dinner guest rats are you clones trying to steer this program away from sports and to get me to bring back the rat family one more time and hopefully never again. Time and place. Time and place. There was a time when it was deemed acceptable, if not even mildly amusing, to find all the athletes and coaches who look like rats and slammed them into one family that we could all celebrate. Time and place. It may have been acceptable at one time. It may have been mildly amusing. And yes, I do know that every time back in the day you came across a new rat, that that was like a life moment for you, and you couldn't wait to run it back to me. But that was then. This is now. It's no longer appropriate, and we're not doing it. And the truth is, I probably shouldn't have even done it back then. And if I'm not going to bring that thing back for my own son, who brings it up at least once a week, I'm sure as hell not doing it for any of you. I'll go to San Francisco, but I will not go to the Rat Cafe. Can I tell you something? They're no more acceptable now than they were in the 1900s. This dude's like, oh, yeah, they may have been public enemy number one then, but not now. Oh, yeah, they're still rats. That's still unacceptable. Rats are not acceptable as house pets. Rats are not acceptable as cafe guests. Not in 1900 and not in 2017. Hey, you want to give your kid a pet hamster? You go ahead and do that. But nobody should have a pet rat. And certainly nobody should be dining with a rat or paying 50 bucks to interact with a rat after a meal. And we don't need to be reminded that rats were public enemy number one in the 1900s. We know that. They're still on that list. Just like nobody wants to get a tooth ripped out without anesthesia as a reminder that for centuries nobody had anesthesia. Just like I don't need your stupid list of athletes who'd like to dine with rats or who currently dine with rats or some lame, lame reset of cheese puns. I best not be getting any of that on the show either. It's a sports show. The Rat Cafe is a disgusting pub grab. That's all that is. I don't want your rat references or your cheese references, all right? Let's go to Wisconsin. Ben. Hey, Ben, what's going on? Hey, Jimmos. I'm here to talk sports very quickly before I get on topic. Uh, you can take my, you can answer my question off air, but what's the spread at the barn for game one? Now, let's party like it's 1900 here. Uh, let me tell you about when my boys and I visited this cafe. You've been honking all day. Uh, we got there before the grand opening to be kind of the guinea pigs and to test it out. So I thought it'd be nice to call in and share my review. Now, initially, I thought the Rat Cafe, uh, you'd think they'd come up with a more creative Monica for it, but that's neither ear nor hair. 
For the most part, it's a hole in the wall. However, there's a nice outdoor seating area where you can chin chill out and uh, enjoy the breeze. Uh, food-wise, they hook you up pretty well. Uh, they wheel out a three-course-o meal featuring many varieties of artisan-quality goods, and it's all parm to table. Uh, let me tell you, man, the flavor does pop. Uh, my only gripes were uh, what you mentioned just now. It costs a lot of scratch. And uh, it was tough to chase down the squirrely little servers when it came time to hostel up and uh, paid your bill. Uh, overall, my takeaway from this place, Jim, is that they'll be fine. Uh, the elements are in place. Uh, now follow me here. Uh, they know that having a good sous chef's key. Uh, thanks for your time, Rome. We'll talk soon, man. Thank you for listening. You know, I appreciate it. Hit subscribe, tell a friend, trust the podcast, and check back once again tomorrow for more Daily Jungle. See you then. From the kids to Aunt Sue, keep your whole family connected on all their devices with crowd-pleasing gig-speed internet from Xfinity. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit today. Restrictions apply. Actual speed vary and not guaranteed.